Greetings, residents of Derry, Castle Rock, and all world. You're listening to Constant Watchers, a podcast about the many TV and movie adaptations of the work of Stephen King. Never get out of bed again. Audiences are going to relate to and they're going to like the characters because to me it's all about characters. <laughs> when I was growing up in Bakersfield, my favorite thing in all the world was to go to the movies on Saturday afternoons. I'm Robin. I'm Leonard. I'm Jerry. Welcome to episode three. Tonight we're talking about the 1980 movie The Shining. But first, some Stephen King news. Beep, beep, Richie. I have no news today. Oh, okay. There's no news at all, but I, I was thinking maybe you could tell the folks what you thought of Stephen King's latest book. <laughs> uh, Sleeping Beauties with his son Owen. I wasn't a big fan. I Like I said, I read everything that comes out and I don't necessarily have to love everything. This one... All the women in the world go to sleep uh, at once, and then they cocoon themselves. And if they're awoken from this magical sleep, they sort of become zombies. They freak out and kill. Huh. So the, the overall premise is great. I don't. I didn't really connect with characters that much. Uh-huh. The majority of the book takes place in a ladies' prison. There's a woman named Evie who comes out of a magical tree. It does have some fairy ta- <laughs> fairy tale elements. Okay. The tree is sort of the bridge between worlds. She's kind of from another plane. Uh-huh. And the women wake up in that other plane, in that other dimension. And it almost feels like they're in a post-apocalyptic version of the town. Uh-huh. There's no running water or anything, but they start to form a community. So it's a two-sided book. You have that going on where the women are forming a community, the women that have gone to sleep. And then the other side is the men. Uh, I was going to say, it gets a good part. Right. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> and the other the other side is the men and what they're doing. Yeah. And there are some women that are trying to desperately to stay awake. There's groups of men all over the world that are burning the cocoons. Mm-hmm. And when the cocoons are burned, the women in the other dimension disappear. So they're they're wow. snuffed out. Okay. Uh-huh. What I didn't love about it is I know that Orange is the New Black and Wentworth are very popular television shows right now. Yeah. And the whole book felt sort of derivative of those women prison scenarios and mm-hmm. situations. I liked the overall idea. I was drawn to it immediately. I love Sleeping Beauty, uh, the, the Disney adaptation of the right. old story. I've got it all over this office. I've got a Maleficent tattoo on my arm. I'm a big, yeah. big fan of that. So that drew me in. I was like, oh, great. Yeah. It just, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't even give it a rating. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's a good story. I'm actually like a third of the way through Dr. Sleep. I read The Shining. So, I mean, I can't really give a fair assessment of Dr. Sleep, but uh, I, I'm into it. And, yeah. uh, you know, the character of Danny and all he goes through in The Shining, you know, it, it's very interesting to pick it up like 30 years later and find yeah. out like, oh, man, like is he turning into his dad? You know, what's the PTSD of going through that when you're like, you know, five Right. You know, or eight years old or whatever he was. I'm interested in, in it. There's some weird stuff going on with some vampires that are addicted to steam or something. I I, I don't know, quite know what's going on, but um, I'm enjoying it so far. So I, I've heard it's kind of like not one that was re- received very well. I guess there must have been a lot of pressure on it to be good because it is the sequel to one of his I best. think it's just so different <laughs> yeah. from the first. Yeah. It becomes so different that I think that's probably what right. drove a lot of people away. I'm envious that you're reading them back to back. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do that. The Shining was one of maybe third or fourth book I ever read of <laughs> Stephen King's when I was 18, 19 years old. Yeah. So, um, and then Dr. Sleep, I read when it came out. So there's, there was a big gap there in my memory. And because it was so long ago that I read that book, yeah. my memory of The Shining 
is mostly <laughs> been mostly. tainted by what we watched this evening. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we get into that? Uh, let's play the trailer. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. I hired a man named Charles Grady as the winter caretaker. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family for the next. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> that's right. Mom? Do you really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. I did. Uh, I killed you with Danny. You did this to me. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Here's Johnny. <laughs> All right, so The Shining is, uh, I'll give a plot description. The family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where an evil spiritual presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrible forebodings from the hotel's past and future. You've got the shining. You mean shining. Shh. You want to get sued? I'm just going to say right up front, this is probably the one podcast, one movie that we're covering that I feel like a lot of pressure going into it. Like, I want to do it well. I'm just going to tell everybody out there, there are like four to five hour podcasts talking about every single thing in The Shining. There's yeah, a lot of study on The Shining. There is. There's documentaries. There's, yeah. But it, it's also, it's in the zeitgeist. I think most people, even if they haven't watched it, which is very few, right? know a lot about this movie. We'll just give our opinions and breeze past it because it's sort of, uh, it's such an iconic thing. Boy, you read my thoughts. Directed by Stanley Kubrick and adapted by novelist Diane Johnson and Stanley Kubrick. Steve himself uh, submitted a script, which was more of a literal adaptation of the novel, but uh, Stanley Kubrick rejected it, and he hired Diane Johnson, whose work he admired. He was also impressed because when he found out that uh, she was a, has a doctorate in Gothic studies, he was like, all right, let's do this, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm very confused. So I guess the first thing we really were talking a bit about while we were watching the movie was how impressed we were with the sets and oh, the locations. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know before this that the Overlook is not an actual hotel, that it's all sets. The exterior of is uh, filmed at the Timberline Lodge uh, in Oregon, but the interiors are all at Elstree Studios in England. Very famous uh, studio, <laughs> yeah. Which I, I think we'll get to. There's a lot uh -huh. of movies that we love that have been filmed in that very place. Right. I think because I've seen this movie, I I, I don't know if I had to guess, I'd say at least fifteen times over yeah. you know the course of my life. So I was trying to watch it a little differently. What I was really paying attention to this time was that was specifically the sets and the unbelievable beauty of them. Yeah, and and how big they are and the lighting is incredible. I can't say enough for 
Stanley Kubrick and his just the shots in general, his direction in the filming of the movie itself. And that's why it stands up as one of the greatest horror movies or psychological thrillers or whatever right. we'll call it of all time. It looks incredible. Every shot was really thought out and planned. Mm-hmm. And the sets are so detailed. I can't yeah. believe it's not real. I know. Exactly. I think before when I watched this movie, I was like, wow, they picked a really good hotel. To, I mean, it's really gorgeous uh, location that they picked out. Yeah. Just to know that, no, actually, uh, they built all this. Everything you're looking at inside yeah. is built. It, it's just The really set dressing cool. in an in, in, in in the office, uh-huh. for instance, the things that are on the desk and on the table and in the filing cabinets look mm-hmm. full. It's what the hell? <laughs> I mean, there's not a detail missed. It's yeah, and especially you know, it really hits you when you see Danny on his big wheel uh, flying through the hotel. You see, it's one all shot. connected. Yeah. yeah, it's all connected. It's all up. It's all one big set. Yeah, there's downstairs. You can. There's a moment where you could see from the hallways of that that cool '70s rug. Yeah, you, know, you could actually. He passes uh, one of the stair entrances, and you can see down into the great hall, into the main hall. So it's legitimate. They built a goddamn hotel inside a studio. <laughs> um, when you told me that, we you told me that it was all sets, which blew my mind tonight yeah. because I never really, I didn't know that. I never thought about it. I just assumed it was a uh, a real location as well. And when you told me that, there was this long panning shot of Jack, Jack Nicholson and Jack the character, Jack Torrance, yeah. <laughs> walking, being led through the main hall to the office. And it's this long shot. You get this beautiful mm-hmm. shot. And you're telling me it's a set. So I assumed it was a facade, one-sided. And, you know, in my imagination, I yeah. saw camera crews and everything, <laughs> you know, on the other on the other half, on the concrete yeah. floor. Until there was another shot of that same room and they panned around. And this, no, it's complete. <laughs> that every goddamn room is complete. And and every room is, uh, at least most of it, is inspired by other hotels, you know, and just how they look, the design of them. They basically got pictures and they're like, let's uh, let's create this this room, you know, the, yeah. the Colorado room, the, the gold room, all that. Um, one big difference, I mean, we'll get into right here about the rooms is room 237 in the book it's actually room 217 it killed me for a while i was like man stanley kubrick had no respect for this novel he actually changed the iconic room number right it turns out that um it was a request from the folks at the timberland lodge they filmed the exterior of it and they said okay you can use our hotel as the exterior for this giant horror movie but Let's not make the haunted room one of our actual rooms. There right. isn't a room 237 in, in Timberland Lodge. So uh, as it turns out, you know, it really didn't help at all because people who go visit the Timberland Lodge know The Shining book as well. And room 217 is one of their most requested rooms. It's coming anyway. away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. so. I knew I'd moved in a haunted house. Jack. Nicholson, what do we think about his portrayal of Jack Torrance? Well, because I far removed from the book, yeah. it's been so long. I think he's unbelievable in the movie. Yeah. I think he's he's great. What struck me tonight watching him, like really captivated by him, is all the facial expressions in between. <laughs> uh, it's just not just the delivery of lines, but it's it's his whole being. And right. I asked you, is there any trivia or or does any, <laughs> how was he behaving on set? Was he <laughs> was he a nightmare? And and you said he was a uh, by all accounts he was a gentleman. Yeah, so he's, he's a professional, consummate actor because he is really uh, absolutely insane in this, in this film. <laughs> Only really big trivia I found out about him uh, was that he was fed cheese sandwiches for two weeks to get himself ready for those like really psycho, you know, psycho scenes, you know? The reason why is because he hates cheese sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that a real fact? I don't know. Jerry, you eat a lot of cheese sandwiches, don't you? Not as much nowadays. But yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it like makes you constipated, and that's why he was like, angry. Biggie. Did have a shirt. I, I really liked his performance. His performance is iconic. I'm sure it's on many top ten lists of characters of all time, horror right. villains of all time. What I was really watching today about his performance was how he was acting and when when does the hotel take him over, you right. know? And even in the first interview where he interviews with uh, Mr. Uh, Ulrich, I think it is. Ullman. Ullman, that's it. He has this confidence in the interview. You you think, oh, he's just this happy guy. But it, there's also a bit of his performance where you're like, is he putting on a show here for these guys? Right. And it's, it's an interview, funny. obviously. Yeah. And every scene after that, is he really feeling this or is he putting on a, a show? When we start getting towards the scene where he's typing and he gets interrupted, the facade he's had up to make everybody happy is is melting away. Right, it's true. Does he have a lot of anger built up on the inside, or is this the hotel, or is the hotel making him more uninhibited? Uh, I think that's a good point. Even yeah. in the car, when Danny says, I'm hungry, well, you should have eaten your breakfast then. Yeah. And we know that he hurt Danny at one point. I think it's always been there. Well, actually, the bartender, Lloyd, uh-huh. or, or excuse me, it's the caretaker in the bathroom scene, actually says... Grady, yeah. He says, you're the caretaker, I know, because I've always been here. And I think that was almost a, you belong here, too. You've always been here. You've always been insane. You've always belonged in this, I killed my family with an axe. Uh You're you're a brother. You know, you're a brother. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a brother's in uh, domestic violence arms kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. In in psychosis. In psychosis, In some way. That was another thing I was wondering about was uh, he talks a lot about deja vu during the movie. Um, he's always of, been there. Of course, the photo at the end, yeah. it, takes, it was taken in 1921, yet he's there. I had always taken it as the hotel got him, and now he's been sucked into the past, into that, and now that's why he's into that picture. But then hearing all these lines about deja vu and, you know, you've always been here, you're the caretaker. and No, uh, I think he was coming home. Wendy, I'm home. Speaking of Jack, uh, I mean... There's several criticisms that Stephen King himself has lobbed against this movie. He wasn't a fan of Jack Jack Nicholson's casting. He wanted Robert De Niro or even Robin Williams to play Jack Torrance. He said that... Um, Somebody likable yeah, to start. He said Jack Torrance is supposed to be a good guy who, through his alcoholism in the hotel, has turned evil. Where's the tragedy if this guy shows up to his job interview and he's already bonkers? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, well, that's what we sort of just discussed. Yeah. There's a there's an underlying feeling of insanity already yeah. there, in the performance, you know, yeah. and because we're stuck with this version, maybe yeah. in an alternate uh, dimension. Um, there's a mini series, maybe made in the '90s, where we can take another look at this story. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is. We'll get there yeah. eventually. Yeah, the book yeah. is there, always there, but uh, from stuff I've read from Stephen King, he definitely took more of offense at how The Shining was adapted than anything else um, yeah. it's because it was partially autobiographical he struggled with alcoholism and he struggled during his writing with unprovoked rage towards his family whenever his family would interrupt him yeah i can definitely feel for that as a, as a dad myself you look every once in a while you're like whoa why did it, where did that rage come from you know well <laughs> i and i can speak as a soon to be dad but as a writer yeah that some days when i'm in it and it's kicking my ass and i'm yeah. not the one in control and i'm having a hard time obsessing over a single paragraph for two hours <laughs> yeah the cat could fart in the other room and i want to strangle it. so <laughs> that does, yeah that rage just does happen i think so when you're in here typing 
Yeah. Does Kelsey know not to interrupt you? She fucking better. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the bat, Kelsey. Give me the bat. Stop swinging the bat. Damn it. Put the bat down, Wendy. Stop it! Wendy, give me the bat. Please! Do it! Give me the bat. We should talk about uh, Shelley Duvall as Wendy. Probably the most polarizing performance of this movie. I, I think a lot of people in recent times, if they go back and watch The Shining, that's the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. It is. A lot of people than, hate it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, I think she did a fine job. Yeah. You? Uh, yeah. I mean... Again, now I'm tainted by the book, as usual, and I'm going to probably stop reading books now. You keep saying that. I want you to keep reading because it excites me because I get to relive them with you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but it does end up like we're talking about the adaptations, and I'm like, yeah, but the book, though. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to be, yeah, but the book, though, guys. Well, no, that's. I think that's a good thing. Don't be reading my mind between four and five. That's Willie's time. I don't know. I, I really think Shelley Duvall does a good job with this movie's Wendy. This movie's Wendy seems like she's like a battered housewife. Yes, yeah. They never say it, but she's... She's definitely afraid of her Very husband. nervous. And yeah, when she defends him, when the social worker comes yeah. towards the beginning of the movie, and they sit down and she tells a story about how Jack dislocated Danny's arm. I thought it was oh, so gosh. believable, so great. One of my favorite details of that scene is seeing the cigarette ash getting longer and longer. Then it all of a sudden goes in the social worker's face and it's like, yeah, here's a normal reaction to that story. Yeah. Really? Stephen King did not like Wendy. Said the Wendy character is insulting to women, basically a scream machine rather than a complex character in her own right. But like you said, for this version, this the movie's version of Wendy, yeah. I guess to think about them like separate things. You know, She really paints their marriage and what life has been like just by the way she looks by the way she acts how she's dressed yeah you don't need to you don't need to hear like lots of stories about how i mean in the book it goes into you know how jack descended into alcoholism and all the crap that she he put them through all right i guess uh well we should talk about danny Danny Lloyd plays Danny. Um, what did you think about him? A lot of times, uh, kid actors can tank a movie, and I yeah. thought he was great, actually. this is uh, There were 4,000 kids who auditioned for Danny. Uh, they brought in Danny Lloyd, who had no acting experience. The way they filmed this, they, uh, they convinced him that it was a drama that he was making, and he wasn't even allowed to watch it until he was a teenager. One person they came close to casting was the little boy from Close Encounters. Oh. Then his parents got to look at the script. <laughs> and they're like, and it was like, oh, no. no, no. Yeah. He seemed natural. It didn't yeah. feel like he was acting or being fed lines. He Honestly, to me, he seemed so tired. <laughs> he seemed really tired. This was a long shoot. Of all the actors on the movie, Stanley was most protective of little Danny. So I don't think he put him through the amount of takes that he put the other actors through. you got to take into account... Also, he's got The Shining. He's got he's going through this yeah. traumatic experience, you know, and, and it starts off with him blacking out and having this horrible vision. That's pretty much how he's introduced. Yeah. So in the book, he, he's definitely more vocal and sure. uh, he's, and he's more out outgoing yeah. with The Shining, like yeah. how he sees things. He's constantly hearing things thoughts in his parents' head, and he's warning his mother of the future a lot more vocal than this Danny. This Danny. Seems to just kind of sit around in shocked silence, you know. And it does. It, it helps with the the horror factor of this film. That yeah. this poor little kid. This he is so little and fragile, and you're so scared for him. Yeah. And so I don't know. He did he did a good job. The final 
uh, cast member we should mention has got to be uh, Scatman Crothers as uh, as Dick Halloran. Uh, to me, he's such a personality. He's just instantly trustworthy, which is, if you're watching this movie, like, why are they leave? Why is that couple leaving their five-year-old yeah. kid with this strange guy? Want to get some ice cream? Yeah. It's like, uh, maybe you should come with me, Danny. <laughs> but it's Scatman Crothers. He's just this jolly old grandpa. Do you know how I knew your name was Doc? I'm wondering also about Jack. If Jack is so affected by the hotel... Is, does he have the shine as well? Or Maybe he's one of the guys that has it but doesn't believe it or has it yeah. and doesn't really know. It's more impressionable to right. supernatural right. things. Right. I don't know. I just Carrie don't. White. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, mean, it is a theme that the, the shining appears, a, that power or whatever it yeah. is, that appears in, in the, Stephen, the greater Stephen King universe a lot. A lot of characters possess something like it or it itself. To me, it really, it was so much more a part of the story in the book. The book, though. Uh, <laughs> it is called The Shining. Yeah, after. <laughs> I know. But yeah. it's funny, besides the fact that the title is so good, I wonder if it really needed to be in this movie at all. It probably didn't. It could have just, <laughs> you know, they could have done away with all the supernatural stuff and just been a, a guy gets cabin fever and takes an axe to the no, family. They definitely could have kept the, they could have just been like haunted hotel, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... Danny's getting these visions because of the hotel. Because of the hotel, yeah. It's just weird to be like, uh, in this movie at least, it, that well, like, oh, this kid has this mutant power. You know? Without it, uh, they'd be stuck on that mountain until May uh, <laughs> because Dick Howard yeah. brings the snowcat to see what the hell's going on because Danny's giving him you know, a, a help signal, an right. SOS right. through The Shining, which is different in the book. It is different in the yeah. book, yeah. There's scenes... In the movie, I think there's like one scene where he gets one message. But in the in the book, he's struggling to get back to the Overlook, and he's constantly getting you know smashed in the head with Danny's pleas for help, and he, he's not powerful enough to call back and be like, "I got it, I got the message, yeah, I'm you coming, know? I'm coming." My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. What the hell is going on in room two thirty seven? What is going on in there? Just the bathing lady. Yeah, I was wondering that because it has nothing to do with the Grady story. Right. It, as far as I know, unless that's where... I mean, what happens did, in the book? Did I he stay so there? Yeah, I can't remember. I, it, it, that that part of the... Uh, Is that where he killed his kids or something? Like, I don't I, think so. And Stephen King fans, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we apologize. I was just watching and I was like, what does Room 237... Like, what is so special about it? Besides the fact that it's got this, you know, naked lady ghost yeah. that turns into naked old lady ghost. Is that the heart of the evil of the hotel? Yeah, like, I, yeah. I don't know. Did this movie create the limping guy with the axe motif? Like, like the <laughs> haven't you seen that in Looney Tune cartoons? Is like what came first, the 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 chicken that was Jack Nicholson limping <laughs> right. around with the axe, or the egg, which is I don't know all the other things, all the other horror troupe movie shows. I don't know. You when you've gone on those axe rampages, have you ever? <laughs> Come on, Jerry, answer the question. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I don't know if that was like a Karloff movie or something, or something yeah, maybe. Dragon, uh, it's like an, an axe. I don't know. Okay, so fake snow used in the hedge maze was also used for the Hoth seams in Empire Strikes Back. Both movies were being filmed at the same time. Here's another piece of that that I didn't share with you while we were watching the movie. While visiting the Shining set, 
Stephen King also visited the Empire Strikes Back set. And he hit it off with the director, Irvin Kirshner, uh, whose nickname was Kirsch. He later created a character in It named Mrs. Kirsch. No, yeah, Who's no living kidding. in the Marsh house. Yeah, yeah. And who he describes in the book as sounding like Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King said the title was inspired by, do you know what song? You should know it. Go ahead, Jer. Um, well, it's a John Lennon song. Shoot. We all shine on with instant karma. <laughs> instant, instant karma, karma yeah. We've used it in the sound clip for our podcast before, but yes, Stephen King thought this movie was too cold. Yeah. <laughs> no sense of emotional investment in the family whatsoever on Stanley Kubrick's part. He liked the visuals, how could you not, but he described it as a Cadillac with no engine in it. Too many takes. This is my next piece of trivia. Okay, here's some trivia for you. So the tennis ball rolling into Danny's toys, that scene... 50 takes. <laughs> the scene where uh, Scatman Crothers is in his bedroom. Uh, oh, those awesome titty <laughs> <the> pictures. <laughs> <in Warfros? laughs> yeah. Nice. 60 takes. What? Yep. For that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the scene where Jack murders him, 70 takes. Wow. Oh, wait, sorry. He wanted to do 70 takes. Uh-huh. Nicholson talked him down to 40s. 40. Mm-hmm. Scatman Crothers became um, so exasperated with... Uh, Stanley Kubrick's compulsive style that he broke down and started crying, which prompted Jack Nicholson to swear he's never going to work with Stanley Kubrick ever again. (laughs) The Shining is in this Guinness Book of World Records for the most retakes of a single scene with 127 takes for the scene where Shelley Duvall is backing up the stairs, swinging the baseball bat. If you want to watch that scene again, thinking about 127 takes, you probably can see how... I'm totally drained she is. Yeah. She looks horrible. <laughs> She's so... It, it works for the scene. Sorry, Shelly. It really does. Uh, and, uh, oh, man. Uh, since Wendy is in a constant state of hysteria, uh, Shelly Duvall literally ran out of tears to cry. <laughs> so she constantly was drinking bottles of water. Throughout the filming, she suffered from nervous exhaustion. Um, she got physically ill. She even suffered hair loss. Wow. Uh, Kubrick ordered the crew uh, not to offer her any sympathy and would often yell at her just to make her portray Wendy as utterly hopeless. After both Kubrick and Nicholson gave her high perf- her performance high praise, Duvall ended up saying, like, even though she'd never want to do that again, she yeah. was glad, like, she pulled yeah. that off, you know? Yeah. Oh, and my last uh, takes trivia. Here's Johnny, which Jack Nicholson actually improvised. Stanley Kubrick was, like, not familiar with The Tonight Show. He was, like, British guy. He said that took three days and 60 doors. Wow. 60 freaking doors. Uh, And part of that is because Jack was a junior firefighter volunteer. And so he was so good with chopping down doors with his axe that they had to build some stronger doors so he could do the full performance but also not – just completely shatter a door with one blow. The final bit of takes trivia that I have is, you know, the elevator doors where the blood all comes out. Yeah. Uh, that took about a year to pull off successfully. <laughs> so uh, speaking of blood, the MPAA did not allow blood to be shown in any of the trailers that would be seen by all ages. So Stanley Kubrick said that the blood was just rusty water and got the trailer passed. <laughs> <laughs> When released in Europe, the film was 25 minutes shorter than the U.S. version. We watched the U.S. version. It's 144 minutes. It gets, it gets down to like 113. Actually, the 144-minute cut that we watched is often called the director's cut. But 
Kubrick actually preferred the 113 minute cut. And there was one scene that went out in the theaters that was cut uh, like after the premiere. Like people saw it if it went opening day, but then he ordered them all to be cut. And it was a scene that took place after Jack is, you know, going in the snow. Yeah. And then they cut to the ice uh, frozen over Jack. Wendy and Danny are in a hospital. Ullman, Stuart Ullman, comes and visits and reports that an investigation of the hotel uh, showed nothing out of the ordinary and there's no sign of Jack anywhere. And then he's like insisting that they stay at his beach house to relax, just trying to cover his ass, you know? Yeah. And then he tosses that yellow ball that was in the hotel. He tosses it to Danny. The, they show the picture. And then the title card says, The Overlook Hotel would survive this tragedy as it had so many others. It is still open each year from May 20th to September 20th. It is closed for the winter. So that got cut. There was actually an original treatment that is bonkers I want to tell you guys about. So at the end, how the ending is in the original treatment. So Wendy and Jack fight after he's released from the storage room and Wendy actually stabs him in the stomach and he falls to the ground and she's on the ground. She starts crawling away and he crawls after he won't stop. And so she, they end up rolling about and she stabs him again and kills him. Mm -hmm. Then Dick arrives and waiting at the door is Grady who instructs him, instructs him about some business that needs to be finished. (laughs) Then it's Dick that pursues Danny with the axe. Uh, Danny is able to confuse him by using the shining, but Dick finally gets a drop on him and is about to kill him when Wendy finds them both and stabs Dick to death. (laughs) And then they escape uh, in the snowcat. And after, instead of the photo, we see a scrapbook of the hotel history uh, in front of the camera. (laughs) A mysterious hand just like closes the scrapbook and you hear footsteps walking away. And that's how they were going to end that movie. (laughs) Okay, so then all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Those pages are all typed by Kubrick's secretary. In fact, uh, they recorded some of the audio of him of her typing because Kubrick insisted on recording the actual words "all work and no play make Jack a dull boy" over and over again into play while Jack is actually typing. So, so the sound actually syncs up. Yeah, and it's cool. Yeah. And that is not a Stephen. That's a complete Stanley Kubrick. And yeah. who was the screenwriter? Uh, Diane Johnson, I think. I think. Uh, it's it's a contrivance of theirs, right? Yeah. Uh, that does not appear in the book, and that is I a, don't believe so. No. And, and that is a really really cool moment. Yeah. Good reveal. Of, Holy shit! He's yeah, crazy, he crazier lost. than I thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In the book, it's very much like he's he's actually in the middle of writing a play, and then he finds like all the history of the Overlook Hotel and like the basement and the scrapbooks. And he gets really invested in the history and all the murders that have happened there before. And he's going to write a book about the Overlook. And he, and he calls the guy that got him a job and he's like, you know, you better, you, you, I'm going to write this book. And the guy was like, you better not write this freaking book. That's my job. That's my place. Yeah. You're going to kill it. I definitely wanted to recommend a couple of things before we get out of here. The OverlookHotel.com is an amazing Tumblr page with all sorts of shining stuff. It's actually run by Lee Unkridge, who is a big guy at Pixar. He did many of the Toy Story movies. He actually directed Toy Story 3, but was in Pixar. As a matter of fact, in Toy Story, Sid, the kid, uh, the mean kid, his room has that famous uh, carpeting. Really? (laughs) Really shining. Yeah. Uh, Lee also did Monsters Incorporated, uh, Finding Nemo, and most recently Coco. And this guy has actually run this Tumblr page, again, the OverlookHotel.com, since like 2012, just constantly posting awesome like fan art and just 
I mean, pictures of the script and Kubrick's notes. Yeah. Like, if you're really into The Shining, I really have to recommend that. Probably don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but we did watch, what was it, like a year or so ago, the Room 237 documentary. We did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think that Stanley Kubrick was uh, putting some messages into the movie. Right. I mean, this was after Kubrick had a terrible box office loss because of uh, Barry Lyndon, and he wanted to do something more that was going to make more money. Uh, so he's like, oh, I'll do a Stephen King book. And uh, so people thought, oh, he's he wants to do something more artsy, and he wa- maybe he has something more to say. So he's kind of hidden it in the movie. Some of the theories uh, involve uh, the genocide of Native Americans, because we see lots of Native American imagery. There's a huge uh, conspiracy theory that Stanley Kubrick f- helped fake the moon landing by filming the moon landing shot <laughs> and that Danny's sweater that has the Apollo 11. Actually, it's a fact. It's 237,000 miles from the Earth to the moon. So room through 37, guys. Whoa. <laughs> uh, there's also another theory about a minotaur. Like Kubrick wants to do, wanted to do a minotaur movie. <laughs> and there's, so that's where the maze came from. Yeah, yeah the maze. And there, there's a... There, I remember a part of the movie where they're looking at the skier in the poster in the background of one shot. I was just like, look, it's a totally a minotaur. One thing I liked about the movie, they did a whole thing about parallels and that if you run the film forward and backwards overlapping each other, and there's some theaters that actually tried doing this after the documentary came out, that you can see the parallels of things happening at the same time. I don't know. As for uh, our pal uh, Steve, uh, he actually admits that he saw the film and he turned it off halfway through, and his quote is, I never had much patience for academic bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, yeah, I'm sure there's a hundred more things to talk about in The Shining. Needless to say, we loved it. We want to do a rating <laughs> system. Yeah. Shall we say uh, uh, bloody axes? Sure. All right, I'm going to give it five out of five bloody axes I, I, without uh, question. You know what? I'm going to give it 4.5 out of five, oh. and I'm going to take a point. I'm going to take half away just because uh, I'm such a big Stephen King fan and I know he hates it. So just yeah. just in solidarity, I'll take a half. Oh, point shit. Away okay. Well, 4.8. Jerry? I was also going to do four and a half. All right. Yeah. Why don't we take it out with a little bit of an ad break? Visit the luxurious Overlook Hotel in Sidewinder, Colorado. We are a very secluded hotel located high in the Rocky Mountains. Built in 1909, legend has it that the construction crew had to ward off Indian attacks because our resort is built on one of their sacred burial grounds. But no worries, we've paid tribute to the Native Americans by adorning our Colorado Lodge with authentic Navajo and Apache motifs. So we're all good as far as I'm concerned. Visit our famous hedge maze. The walls are 13 feet high and the hedges are about as old as the hotel itself. It's a lot of fun, but don't go in there unless you have an hour to spare to find your way out. Kids, make sure that if you go in there that you have a parent following close behind. Dine in our gold ballroom or just relax during the unwinding hours and let our bartender Lloyd serve you whatever you desire. He's always there. The Overlook in its heyday was one of the stopping places for the jet set, even before anyone knew what a jet set was. In our illustrious past, we've had four presidents who stayed here, as well as lots of movie stars and royalty. The Gold Ballroom can accommodate up to 300 people here very comfortably, and we've hosted a July 4th ball since 1921. 
the same July 4th ball every year. It just keeps happening over and over. I don't know where these people come from. They arrive in their finest attire, though. There's one guy who just wears a bear costume, and that's okay because we don't judge here at the Overlook. I hear he's very friendly. But to be honest, quite a few unsavory activities have occurred here, such as suicides, gangland hits, and a horrible accident involving our recent caretaker, Delbert Grady, and his family. You may see his twin girls wandering the corridors if you ride your big wheel about. Our elevators are filled with gallons of blood, so it can be quite messy. But please, do not let that keep you from enjoying our sumptuous grounds and spectacular mountain view. So book a room at the Overlook Hotel today. Just please do not ask for room 237. There's a naked old lady that lives there full time who wanders down to the lobby and pays in cash. And it's really awkward, especially when she feels like hugging. I have no idea what her deal is. She smells like cabbage. The Overlook Hotel. If you don't love it, you will be corrected. All right, well, thank you for uh, listening to us at Constant Watchers. Um, you can follow us on Facebook if you search for Constant Watchers. We're there. We're also actually on now on TalkShoe. We were on SoundCloud. So uh, if you're looking for us on SoundCloud, we're not on there anymore. Other than that, uh, you can email us, constantwatchers at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at L. Robinero. You can check out my other podcast, iZombie Podcast, We Don't Want to Wait Podcast, and Redemption Cast. Len. <laughs> www.leonardkenyon.com. That's L E O N A R D K E N Y O N.com. Okay. And if you watch the shining credits, you'll see that hairstyles were done by Leonard in this movie. So uh, I'm Leonard. I don't want to be held accountable for those. <laughs> Jerry. Hi. I don't know. You can okay. reach me wherever. All right. Uh, so next In time. Shadows. <laughs> next time on Constant Watchers, we're going to be talking about Creep Show. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. And we'll see you later. See you in your dreams. Oh, come back anytime. Bring your friends. Stanley Kubrick saw the haunting is coming from Jack Torrance, from the Jack Nicholson character, whereas I always saw it from outside. So we had a fundamental difference of opinion about it. I always thought that the real difference between my take on it and Stanley Kubrick's take on it was this. In my novel, The Hotel Burns. In Kubrick's movie, The Hotel Freezes. <laughs>